0: Hey, Nothing Is Wasted family, before we dive into this podcast episode, I just want to make an announcement that I'm super excited about. We are finally going to Israel, and I want to invite you to come with us. Christy and I would love to and extend an invitation for you to come with us to Israel. We were supposed to go back in October of 2020, and we all know what happened there, and we have delayed this trip for some time because of all the travel restrictions. But The good news is, is as of March of this past year, all the travel restrictions were lifted for Israel. All of the requirements, vaccination requirements, all of that sort of thing were completely lifted. So we're going to go to Israel in May of 2023. The trip is May 29th through June 6th of 2023. If you want to find out more information about that. You go to com slash Israel. But let me just say this. There are frequently people will ask me questions about when was the turning point in my healing journey. And six months after my late wife was killed, I was invited on a trip to Israel with a church that really surrounded me during that season. And that is, I can look back on, that is the major critical turning point of my healing journey for the first time. Uh, color was beginning to come back into my life. And I can't necessarily explain all the reasons why, but I think it had something to do with walking in the places that Jesus walked, learning about nuances of scripture that I had not seen before, and particularly seeing the theme of pain and suffering all throughout the biblical narrative and the historical narrative. And that was the first time I saw that. And so it really changed my perspective on this world on God, on my particular tragedy that I was walking through. And so I vowed when I left that trip that I was going to take people back to experience the same thing that I experienced, to have some of those huge aha healing moments. So this trip is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enlightening. It's going to be healing. It's going to be inspiring. It's going to be challenging. It's just going to be an amazing time. So Christy and I would love to invite you to come to Israel with us in 2023. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash Israel to find out all the information about this trip. Hope to see you there.
1: Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davy Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson.
0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey.
2: And I'm Aubrey. We're so glad that you're with us again today. We have another... We are. I mean, they're always incredible episodes, so I feel like a little bit redundant when I say that, but... <laughs> I find a are, lot of
0: heroes in these conversations. It's so
2: true. Like, <laughs> like I feel wow. like my faith is so grown yeah. by these conversations. So I mean it when I say we have another incredible conversation for you today. You know, uh, oh, Aubrey, ahead, it, only,
0: it only takes me going out and going for a drive for me to lose my faith in humanity. And... <laughs> And when I have these conversations, it restores my faith in humanity and God's Man. work, God's restorative work in this world through you human just beings. You such a real
2: thing right there. That is so true. Well, Sorry. we are joined by Dr. Denisha Keating. Yeah. She, this is part of her story, David. She journeyed through the foster care system as a child. Uh, Went up against homelessness, poverty. She raised her siblings, stood up Mm. against abusers. Then from there, went on to receive her doctorate in psychology, is now in that space of uh, like foster care reform. She researches best practice of foster youth support Mm. and uh, consults on all kinds of things. And she wrote a book about her story called – I love this title – from foster to PhD, Ooh. letters from a suitcase, Isn't that crazy? and I think that letters from a suitcase is such yeah. a provocative image. You it just is. go, oh, okay, I get what it she's is. trying to do there. But I am so yeah. excited for our listeners to hear her story. Oh today. man,
0: you guys are gonna be blown away. I was just blown away. Like as I, as we had this conversation, she's like, I think she was at like a speaking event where she was just a she was because we recorded early in the morning. She was about to go and do this like foster care reform advocation at this, you know, at an event. And
2: Amazing. she's
0: just like brimming over with passion about this. And I'm Ugh. like, what you came out of,
3: Yeah, there's
0: no way you should be where you're at right now. Yeah, And it, it just filled me with so much hope. And so mm-hmm. uh, my prayer is that it does it for you too. Um, if this does fill you with hope, would you go and rate and review the podcast? We are close to a thousand reviews. We're so reviews. close a thousand uh, reviews we're so fact, close in fact
2: can I read one of those reviews Davy, before we listen that. to your conversation okay so this is a review on episode 215 which we called a path out of loneliness mm. um, here's uh, what this woman says a path out of loneliness was so beautiful and powerful as well as educational for those who like to learn about the brain I mm. will be re-listening to this one thanks both to Davy and Dr. Mark for sharing so authentically
0: that was good That was that conversation with Dr. Mark Mayfield. Yeah, that Um, was
2: so good.
0: So good. So good. So, well, uh, why don't we go ahead and take a, a listen to my conversation with Denisha Keating. Well, Dr. Denisha Keating, it is so great to have you on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: Don't you love having doctor in the front front of your name? I know that's like
4: it's weird and cool and awkward at the same time, just because I'm not used to it yet. I've only had it for like a year. So yeah. <laughs> it's like when you, when you get, oh, as a, as a female, you get married, your name changes. And it's kind of that like, Oh wait, no, it's not that it's this now. That's how it feels. Yep. Um, but it's also different just because, you know, people do put you up a little bit higher now because they're like, Oh wait, it's doctor. And I'm like, right. I'm still me, but yeah, cool. Right. <laughs> so it feels lots of feelings. Right.
0: It's, it's such an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. And then as our listeners are going to hear with your story, it's even more incredible, but I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I just, one day I want to, I want I want to hear Dr. David Blackburn. I feel like I'd have to drop my, my nickname on That one, It wouldn't be Davy anymore if I was a doctor. I feel like I don't know, I don't know, somehow I'd have to drop that, but you could
4: go by Dr. Um, Davy. I feel like that would work. Doctor, Dr. Maybe it Davey, would stick.
0: we'll see. It'll stick, <laughs> it'll <will> stick. <laughs> we'll see. Well, Denisha, you have an incredible story. I mean, as I've just been kind of doing a little bit of research and, and just seeing how far God has brought you, it is a unique story, it is powerful, and now you're doing something that is. Uh, we we always talk about pain to purpose, seeing people go from pain to purpose, and and you really are turning your pain around into some significant purpose. Uh, in fact, if you're watching this on YouTube, guys, she's in a hotel room because she has been <laughs> sharing her story um, at other events and stuff. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what I want to do: I want you to tell us a little bit about your life right now, what what you do, and then we're going to dive back and hear your story because. The fact that you are here where you are right now, doing what you're doing is an absolute miracle and a testament to God's grace. So tell us what you do, and then we'll dive back and listen to your story.
4: So right now I'm I'm getting to run around California to different foster care uh, groups that are within colleges, high schools, counties, and talk about uh, what it was like being a foster care kid, but also a foster care kid navigating education. Um, So a part of that is also sitting with these kids afterwards and sitting with parents and talking about the hard stuff of what foster care is. Um, some people will, will think, well, the foster care happened because of the teenager or the child. Um, and that for some reason is a really big um, stigma, but it's not the kid's um, inability to do something. It was actually the parents. And so there's a lot of shame that comes in with this community. So being able to come in and shine, shine light and healing um, just makes people go, okay, I can, I can change my life. I don't have to repeat generational cycles. Uh, but it is, it is a group of people that are there that are often missed and walked away from, uh, by some people. So it's been a journey to do that.
0: Wow. 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 Well, you know, obviously this passion has come out of your own experience in the foster care system. Can you, and not just that, but so much else that you walked through while while you were in the foster care system. Um, can, can you just dive back, just whatever you would kind of deem the starting point of your story, the significant components of your story, and just kind of narrate for us. Just talk to us about your life growing up.
4: So I think a lot of the times um, I usually start and I'm like, well, in high school, and I, I start to remember it wasn't just high school that we were dealing with. Uh, CPS and foster care is actually way before that. I think the first time I remember meeting a CPS worker, I was eight. Uh, My mom actually grew up in the foster care system. Both sides of my family have dealt with CPS, I think, my entire life. And it's one of those things that um, the best way to describe it is just someone always coming and, and lingering over you to say, don't mess up. And so growing up with that understanding that if we messed up, um, we, it was our fault that we were taken away. Like somehow we failed as a child. Uh, and so I remember at 13, um, the CPS worker came in, we were homeschooled from pre-K to that point. Um, they said, you can't be homeschooled. You have to be in public school because you can't be home alone. I'm one of 11 kids. And so I'm the fourth oldest. And when I was in turning 15, they were like, okay, you know, from 13 to 15, they're like, you got to put them in school. You got to put them in school. And they came back and said, look, you have a choice. We either take them from you, from the parent, or we put them in, in school. And so my mom finally made the decision. Okay, let's go enroll them. And we got into education, institu- like public education for the first time. And that was a whirlwind yeah. because when you're not being educated, um, there are homeschooling groups that are amazing, and there's homeschooling parents that are amazing my parents stopped teaching us <laughs> they were just like there's no mm-hmm. point uh, for the girls it was why am i teaching you anything but home ec and baby raising like you don't need to be taught um so any education we did get was ourselves like we were just looking through books reading things trying to figure it out but i had already been delayed in a lot of different things uh educationally i learned to read when i was nine I had dyslexia that I didn't know about until I was in high school. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but it was things that I remember just sitting there and being like, I got this. And CPS being like, no, you don't have this. You're 13. You can't, you can't have this. You can't raise a six-month-old and take them and do their school and then do your school. Like You're not the mom. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like This is our role. This is our job. So when we were entered into high school, Um, it was March of the freshman year and the school year ended in June at that point. And the high school counselor I went to, he's like, I'm not helping you. I'm not wasting my time on you. I just don't help people. Like he, he just said, I don't help your kind meaning statistics. Like he doesn't help people who aren't AP and honor students. And that's verbatim what he said. And I was like, oh wow. Okay. (laughs) But later found out from a friend who's like, this is how we navigate this. Let's go talk to this teacher Um, and I was like, okay. Uh, and I talked to that teacher and she showed me, she's like, you're 20 credits behind. And your teacher or your counselor did call all of your teachers to let them know you need to be failed. Um, because there's no point in passing you at this point. And I just, it was like all of every single conversation I would have was like, you're not making it. We're not helping you. And that was emotionally difficult because you're just like, no one wants to believe in me. And like, there's just these issues. Right. But then in my sophomore year, um, I was coming home from a band camp thing. I was for a color guard competition we had in the fall. And that is when CPS picked us up and was like, Hey, we're moving the eight of you that are under the age of 18 to three different homes. And that's when my older sister and my brother-in-law who had been married for about a year, um, they were like, we're going to step in and step up the best way we can. And, um, they took us all into an apartment a couple of weeks after we were put into the system, but I aged out of the system. And so what that means for people who might not know is there's two ages, depending on where, where your state is. So it's either 18 or 21. Some kids can petition to stay in the foster care system until 21, um, as long as they have housing and all that stuff. My CPS worker was like, by the way, you're done, you're out. We're not gonna have you stay with your sister anymore. Because the room she has you in is with your sister who's under the age of 18. And that can't happen. So you got to go. So I was immediately homeless my senior wow. year. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So again, wow. one of these moments where you just feel like you're thrown to the side. Um, yeah. And there used to be, there's this feeling that you get. And that it used to be a big feeling for me was you're replaceable. Nobody cares about you. You literally like my, I remember a coach saying it like, I can replace you like that. And I was like, yeah, I know. And other people would be crying and I'm like, get over it. Like we're all replaceable. That's just life. And I would, I just took that as like, it's true. I'm invisible and replaceable. And that's, that's fine. So when I graduated high school, um, I lived in my car for a full year homeless and from 19 to 24 would bounce around from house to house. I had over 30 different addresses. Uh, which was insane to me. And that was just the stuff I registered for. Like I had to change. And then I got a PO box. because I was like, I'm tired of changing my address and losing mail, Um, which is kind of funny because you're like, it's weird. Your identity is kind of shaken at that point. So a a piece of luggage or a, a blanket is what you hold on to versus like other people will hold on to like pictures or letters or notes. It's just kind of weird when you're in the foster care system and you're moving around so much, you lose so much. You learn to condense what you live in and what you have to boxes or bags or suitcases. So when that happened, um, and I was bouncing around, I was like, "I'm tired of this. I want to change my life." And I I enrolled back into college, um, got in, failed my first semester, which I was like, "Well, that, that happens. Another another win for me." Um, which it, it just it hits you differently when you know, you fail yeah. so much that you're just like, I can't accomplish anything. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. And there were so many times I would tell myself, like, I'm good at one thing. And if I try anything else, it fails. So education was something yeah. I'm like, I can do this. It's just I have to try a lot harder. Um. And one of my professors said something, it was very, just like, I, I share this with everyone, because it's so profound, where you're just like, okay, so he asked the class, he's like, if you woke up in 10 years from now, would you be happy with the choices that you made? Not where you end up in Mm. life or what your life looks like, but would you be happy with the choices that you made? And I sat back and I was like, huh, (laughs) little 19 year old me kind (sighs) of like, okay, no, I might not be happy with where I'm at, but am I happy with those choices that I make now and how they impact tomorrow? Mm. And I started making choices to be happy about. and at, at 24, one of those choices was when I got a call from two of my brothers who were running away from home, my dad's house. And uh, they said, we need you to come pick us up. And I was like, okay, I finally got my own apartment. It was a one bedroom, one bathroom, 500 square foot. And I'm like, that's enough for one person. And then they called and needed a place to stay. So I was like, okay, yeah, three people can be here. We're good. Wow. We got this, you know, it's not 500 square feet's not that bad for three people. And then a few months later, I get another call to pick up um, my three youngest siblings, who at that time were 12, 14, and 15. Uh, I was 24 years old, (laughs) so I wasn't making a lot of money, still trying to finish my bachelor's. And it was either pick them up and figure it out or have them go back to foster care. And the hard part is with foster care, with siblings, they're normally split up. Um, it's very rare to find a home that can take all three. And I was like, we're just going to figure this out. And this is where I started to really notice God was like, okay, I got you. And there was something like I was praying on it and there was like maybe a week before it actually like happened. Um, that I was like, I knew it was going to happen before it happened basically. And then that's when I got the call, but I was praying on it and I just kept hearing God say like, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. And I'm just like, okay, okay. And when you hear that, sometimes you're like, okay, God, you're going to like bring out Ellen DeGeneres with all of this stuff. And she's going to hear our story and give us all of these things. And that doesn't happen um, often. So I I pick my siblings up, I get the court documents done. And literally overnight, I'm a guardian to these kids. And I'm enrolling them in school. And (laughs) 24 year old little little girl freaking out emotionally because it's just like this is a big responsibility and the hard part is on one side you have some people saying you know what you've got this let's help you we'll figure it out together and then other people being like you're ruining them you're ruining yourself what about this person what about that person what about your parents and I'm like this is why we're in this situation um so it you you really hear a lot of different things and it reminds me of the story of job where you know, job is sitting there and his friends are like yep. we're with you and then they're against him and then they're like well you did something and you're just like yep. go away <laughs> go away yep. um so wow. you know lo and behold now i'm a guardian of three kids and then two little teen uh adults who are still trying to figure it out um Man. getting them driver's license trying to help them get jobs and just kind of like oh my gosh while still going to court uh, against my dad and and being in his trial and trying to handle the emotions of my mom and then my own emotions but we're all in this one bedroom one bathroom 500 square foot apartment and a lot of people listening will be like well what why did cps let you have them if it was such a small place with six Mm. people that's a lot um our cps worker had said you know what The houses, they're just overwhelmed foster care. It's hard to find placements and it won't be within the same city. They might be spread out between cities and and even States. We just don't know. And uh, she's like, what we could do is we can designate uh, where they're, I just need to know where they're staying. And I was like, Oh, okay. So the boy's room is the living room. The girl's room is the bedroom, but I can't be in there because I'm over the age of 18 I'm going to be in the walk-in closet. That's a bedroom. Um, and so that's how she wrote it down three bedroom apartment. And I'm like, that was a God thing where she was just like, look, we get how bad this is. And the hard part is a lot of foster care teenagers have a hard place getting hard time getting placed. Um, a lot of people want little kids. Um, a lot of it's hard to have teenagers, there's a lot of, they're already adults at that point, And they're kind of like on their right. own. And so people were like, oh, that's too hard. I don't want them. And so that's the, the reality yeah. that they face. And she was like, I'd rather keep them together with you guys than have them hurt even more. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you probably got a lot of money, assistance. And no, not with guardianship. Guardianship and kinship is different than foster care licensed parents. Um, when it's a guardianship and a kinship. There's not a lot of funding there. Uh, and so I, for, for the three kids every month, the state was help only helping with $680 a month. Wow. And that was like, oh, and yeah uh, that was just kind of mind blowing. because I was like, oh, that's not a lot. But in my head, I'm like, I'll make it work. You know, you, we're just going to do what we got to yeah. do. And so at that point, my church community was just like, okay, we're going to help you. They put me in uh, contact with a lawyer who attended the church. So she was guiding me for free through all of the processes I needed to do. She's like, you need to get this done. You need to get that done. You have to get your mom signed off on this. You have to do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But I did exactly what she said. And then another person from the church found us a four-bedroom townhome that was with um, an income, like— they, they have like low income studios and things like that. So they they found a low income townhome and we got moved into there after nine months of being in a one bedroom, one bathroom, uh, which wow. was a long time. And she, she, you know, they helped us move in. And then the church was like, okay, what do you need furniture wise? What do you need clothes wise, shoes wise, food, yeah. dishes, whatever it is. And uh, I didn't realize it until I did my taxes, just how much the church community had helped um, so that year I made $18,000. That's very, very low, <laughs> uh, especially yeah. for a family of six. But yeah. when I looked back, cause I was very confused when I did my taxes. Cause I was like, I know I made more than that, or I had more money than that. Um, so I went yeah. back to my bank account and there was, I think over like $30,000 extra that came in outside of what I made from people wow. donating money. Um, and then right. when I went around the house, that every kid had a bed, every kid had a dresser, every kid had clothes. It didn't matter if they were, you know, young adult or, or teenager, people were like, here you go. Um, which was crazy. People made sure we had cars. They're like, Hey, I know your car's on the limb. Here's another one. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like this is insane. And the power of community is so big. Yes. There's negativity that can come from that where people are like just super judgmental, but there were so many people who were like, don't listen to that voice. And I was like, okay. And in the midst of all of this, I'm trying to finish my bachelor's degree. So it took me eight years (laughs) to finally finish. Um, And and several parents were like, you need to drop out. You need to focus on the kids. And one mom heard it. And she came like during church and she just like grabbed me. And she's like, don't you dare quit. You've worked way too hard and you need to stay there. She's like, I just, you have to finish this. I feel like I need to tell you that. And I was like, no, oh, we're planning on quitting, but thank you. Like the, the judgment wow. is real. Um, and I yeah, think it's yeah. just when we go into panic mode, we tend to go into panic mode. <laughs> and people are like, yeah. here's the advice you need to do right now. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, so I finished my bachelor's, finished it in eight years. I uh, went on to my master's, finished that in a year. The difference between getting into my master's, though, um, it was a struggle because I didn't have the GPA that I needed. I needed a 3.0. I had a 2.8. And one of the counselors I was working with, he's like, you know, you can petition, right? Like you can petition to get into the program. And your story Mm -hmm. makes sense to me of why your GPA was 2.8. He goes, I can literally see the dip in your grades when everything went down. And so I was like, okay. So he's like, write your story out. They need to know that you're a good student. You just have life hit you really hard. So I wrote it, Mm -hmm. got into the program and finished my master's in a year and then entered into my PhD program. Wow. Um, And was able to finish that in three and a half years Nationally, it's uh, actually five to seven years to finish that degree uh, and I was able to do it Mm. in three and a half But there's still that not because I'm still like I got to get to the next thing I haven't been able to really sit there and be like, oh, that's a really big accomplishment But then you look at the statistics for foster care and education and it's 50% don't graduate high school nationally only 3% nationally are graduating with a, with a, an associate's or a bachelor's degree. So once mm-hmm. they do that, they're like, oh my gosh, that's unheard of. Um, and then you go yeah. to a master's and a PhD, it's almost unheard of where it's it's impossible. And nationally with right. a PhD degree, it's 2% of the nation among the general population. Right. Like, right. It's a very rare thing to have. And so it's like, oh, right. it's like a, an elite club. And I'm like... I'm an elite club on both sides. so yeah. with with that, there's this narrative that you can take on of like, well, I'm not gonna make it because only fifty percent graduate high school or only three percent graduate college. Mm-hmm. And what part of what I'm getting to do is now talk to foster care kids and be like, you realize you are part of that fifty percent. You're enrolled in school. Mm-hmm. That means you could be part of the you know yeah. the three percent that graduate and you want this, you got to do it. It's going to be hard, but you got to, you got to use this as a positive narrative versus negative. Um, and, and honestly, I think going back and looking at my own story and sitting with someone last night, um, I just looked at him and I was like, you're going to make it. You can do this. And he's like, my Hmm. mom didn't even tell me that. And I'm like, (sighs) like heartbroken. And then I'm like thinking about it this morning and I'm like, how many times did someone actually look at you in the eyes? Not just like, yeah, you'll get there and walk away, but like look at you and sit with you and say, you're going to make it. You can wow. do it. That is so rare. So seeing how many people have done that for me, it's like, how many more people can we just get on board to be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. let's start looking at people and just being like, hey, I know it's hard, but you can do it if you do these things. Like just keep mm-hmm. going the course. Um, wow. But that that's yeah. just my story in a nutshell. Uh, Jeez, the last one is Anisha. actually the youngest is 19 now. So it's like, I made it <laughs> with wow. all kids. We've all grown up and we all grew up together. Um, but wow. it, it's, it's been a journey.
0: <clears throat> wow. Okay. There's a whole lot to unpack right here. I mean, yeah. This, this, was, this was, this was a big, and I appreciate it. you did such a great job of just walking us through kind of the timeline and the challenges that were, that were presented to each, each one of those stages. But here's the thing, like, and, and I don't know if maybe you've already answered it or maybe there's, there's more underneath it as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you say that there were so many people that looked you in the eye and said, you're going to make this, you're going to make this. And that was very pivotal for you in any of our stories, whether it's big T tragedy, like what I've gone through or little T trauma over the course of years and years and years that compound itself or, or anywhere in between resilience is a huge part of making it through. Right. Is yeah. is hanging on to this sometimes this hope that is unfounded. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. why would you have any hope? Right. But you know, as scripture says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. There's a and there's so much about perseverance uh in scripture and long suffering. And what what was it for you that that you know gave you that kind of resilience or built that resilience? Like what what kept you motivated through this entire journey. I mean, to your point, multiple times failing or staring failure in the face, multiple times hearing people say you're never gonna make it your statistic. How how did you keep pushing forward?
4: It honestly was the people who came around. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, okay, where where was that one moment? And I don't think it was one moment or one person. <laughs> it was multiple yeah. people that God placed in my life. Cause the day that we were taken from our home to foster care, there was a mom and like, I was like cussing out the CPS worker. I was like, I'm done with you. Like, you don't know me. I don't know you. You're a stranger. You're tearing my family apart. Mm-hmm. And this mom pulled me aside and she's like, honey, we don't talk to people like that. Um, but what we mm-hmm. do do is we pray and we, we pray because we need to just come to Jesus. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I'm wow. 15 at that point And I'm just like, I don't really like God right now because he's tearing my life apart but she's like yeah, I don't care yeah. we're just going to pray and she wasn't like pray for peace mm. and get this together she's like God give her strength give her give her joy right now mm. um and that that was something where it's like oh my goodness and then the next time something happened there was always someone who was like look I don't know it, the answers were never from someone who said, you'll be fine, just get over it, or just trust God, and then they walk mm-hmm. away. It was the person who sat with you, and they're just like, you know what? That's some hard stuff. Can we just pray? Yeah. And it was always yeah. that, like, I'm going to pray for strength for you, um, because I would roll my eyes when people were like, oh— Come, your your blessings are coming in abundance, so I'm like, yeah, it would be nice to thinking right now because it's hard right now, yeah, but but the ones that yeah. meant the most were the the people who just pulled you aside and they said, Please don't give up, like I don't know what God's doing, mm-hmm. but I want to pray strength with you, and it's it's God putting that fire back in is to hear when you hear like a story of someone who say it says like, Oh, this is what went on, and then this is what happened' You're like, oh, I really hope God can use that and do that in my life. And you mm. hope for that. But there is that moment where you're just like, I don't get it anymore. And every single time that happened, that's when God was like, here's this person to talk to you real quick. Even if it was like, hey, I know we, we don't talk often, um, but here here's some something I think you need to hear. Uh, and one of those moments, yeah. I think when I had my siblings, I was like panicking because bank account was overdrawn. Rent was due and my little, the smallest brother who was 12, he was doing a jazz concert. Um, and someone said, oh, you, he told me he needed pants. And someone came up and they're like, hey, I haven't seen you in three weeks. I had to come tonight because I needed to give you this. And they just handed me the money. And it was exactly what I needed to go buy his pants. And he's like, God needs you to know he sees you. Wow. And he knows. And he goes, that's all I'm supposed to say. And he walked away. And that was, I think, every single time it's that I see you and I know you and it's from God. Like, it's not people. It's like that That pushes me to go where it's like, okay, I might not be hearing your voice right now, Lord, but someone else is coming in and saying, I feel like God needs me to tell you that I see you and I know you. And I'm like, that's huge because that's where I've never felt seen and known my whole life. And so it's like that reminder of like,
3: right.
4: I don't talk to you often and you really don't know my story. So how do you know that that's what I need to hear? And that's that's what... I think that's where the resilience comes from, um, and just wanting to not have the past repeat itself anymore, because it's it's hard to watch every family member be like, yeah, we remember, you know, CPS, or we remember your parents like this or that, this or that, or yeah, we experienced that too. And you hear it from outside friends where they're like, yeah, I got hit a few times, had uh, bruises, no big deal, and you're like, It's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, it's not supposed to be like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well.
0: Hey, Nothing is Wasted family, I wanted to interrupt this conversation for a brief moment to let you know about a powerful resource that we have available for you. It's called the Pain to Purpose course. Now, I know many of you guys have heard of this, but in case you're new and you haven't heard of this, I wanted to make sure that you were in the know about this. Now, listen, if you were to ask me this one question, Davey, what's the most important Nothing is Wasted resource that I should engage with? I would tell you, hands down, the Pain to Purpose course is it. Thousands of people now have found tremendous healing and breakthrough in their valley by walking through this course. Now, it's emotionally and spiritually intense, but I promise you, it's well worth it. The Pain to Purpose course is an 11-video online course where I'll help you do four major things. Okay, The first one is this. I'll help you remove the debris of crisis in your life, so like trauma, tragedy, major life transition. The second thing is I'll guide you through the steps of repairing the emotional, relational, and spiritual broken pieces that were left in the wake of your trauma. Third, I'm going to lay out for you how to reestablish a firm foundation for a healthy and whole life. And finally, I'll help you discover and step into the missional and redemptive purposes God has for you out of your trauma. Over the past several years of hosting this podcast, I've noticed some things. No one's pain journey is the same. However, there are some common denominators that every pain-to-purpose story shares, and there are some common things that everyone who goes from tragedy to triumph have to do. So my team and I took those common denominators and we distilled them into an 11-video curriculum to give you the handles, or as we call them, waypoints that you'll need in order to walk through your unique pain journey. This course is essentially an entire year's worth of counseling condensed into 11 videos and a fraction of the cost of counseling. I believe counseling is is very important to your healing journey. If the Pain to Purpose course had existed back when I lost my wife in 2015, I still would have sought counseling, but I wouldn't have had to have spent so much time or money with that counselor because I would have been light years ahead of things just from taking the Pain to Purpose course. So I'd love to invite you to begin accessing the course today. You can go to course.nothingiswasted.com to do that. Again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. And as a little bonus, I convinced my team to let me give you a discount. So right now, for a limited time, you can get $25 off the purchase of the course by using the promo code podcast at checkout. So again, that, that promo code is podcast. Maybe the course isn't something that you need right now, but you do have an option to purchase it as a gift for someone in your life who does need it right now. So just make sure you select the gift certificate option while you're purchasing that. So again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com and use the code podcast to get $25 off. Now back to this conversation. you feel like everybody has kind of those exit ramp type moments in their story or opportunities in their story. What I mean by that is like, you're, you're testifying to several different people that, you know, really helped to infuse that hope into your life, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're, you're seeing God in it, Mm -hmm. right? You have a vantage point that, that sees your, are like, and, and maybe, maybe you were looking for it. Maybe you weren't, but for whatever reason, your propensity is like, Oh, I see God there. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I see that this is a, a little bit of a breadcrumb of, of hope. Like if I just keep following this trail, then I'm going to, I'm going to make it through. Do you feel like that's true for everyone? And some people just don't see it or they don't take that opportunity. Or do you feel like that's only true for a select number of people, you know, I have my theory on it, but I wonder what in your experience as, especially as you're working with other folks, you know, who are in the foster care system and you're trying to encourage them, you've seen, I'm sure a number of different stories, heard a number of different stories. What's your thought on that?
4: I think we all have the opportunity to look for the hope and to look for for God. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't, Um, it is easier to be someone who is negative it is harder to find the positive. Our brain naturally remembers negative things that happen, versus, like, I think it's like we can remember 10 negative things right off the bat. Let's start looking at the good, and we're like, uh, ah, where is it? Um, yeah. but yeah. it's kind of hard. Uh, and I, and I do think that yeah. there, we do naturally, we do come back to our self, selfish side. And if we look in psychology, it actually says like we're a naturally selfish people. So when we have, you know, maybe someone listening is like, well, there's history of generational abuse in my family. And it's like, they made the choices to go down that route. We have the choices to make to, to go right or left. And it's up to us to take it. Now, it doesn't mean that right or left is going to be the greatest route to take, but at any point we can say, you know what, I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to push forward and try, even if I don't see the hope, um, or I'm going to just stop here. Every single person has that ability. And it just, it's, Every choice we make is hard um, and it doesn't make it easier, but it is one of those things that's talking to a lot of foster care kids. They're just like, well, no one's wanting to help me while they're sitting next to a caseworker who's like, I brought you here to this (laughs) event to hear her speak or to hear of the resources we have. And you're just not tapping into them or you're not showing up. And it's like in our brokenness, it is so hard to see the hope sometimes. And in the moments that we feel abandoned, it is hard to see who's actually for us. Um, because we're just in this moment of fighting or flighting. We're just like, I'm either going to fight it out or I'm going to run away. Right. And emotionally, when you're in that, you're not thinking of, this could be good in a year. You're just kind of like, I see what's in front of me. Right. And yeah. what I see in front of me is broken and and I'm bruised. Like, I'm on the floor. Mm. I got nowhere else to go. Because if you asked me that question eight years ago, I would have been like, dude, I don't know. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure like yeah. I'm just yeah. destined for doom. Um, but seeing... Just a lot of people's, I think a lot of people recognize that in how I was talking where I was just like, it's just so hopeless that they were like, okay, if you're not going to speak hope, I'm going to speak hope into you. Um, and a friend actually said that, like when you don't feel like praying anymore, I want you to let me know, and I'm going to pray on your behalf and I'm going to lift you up. Now we may not have those people all the time in our lives, um, but we can be that person for other people too it is just so hard. So it's kind of like, yes, I do think we have those choices to make. Um, and at any point we can get off and just be like, I'm done. I'm going to sit my negativity or I'm going to sit in my trauma and I'm not going to move forward. But when we start to heal from that, it's because we're actively trying to understand like, why does this hurt? Why does this affect me? And I'm tired of being on this road. And I think that's where I got, whereas I was tired of seeing generation after generation and just so many people in my life choosing, not just my parents, but my friends' parents choosing to be just bitter and ugly toward their kids. And then seeing that there's these other parents who were like, I will not talk to my kids like that. And you're like, there is another way. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and actively pursuing wow. that, um, that changes you. So when you see someone doing, yeah. you're like, I want to be on this side of the road, you have to go toward those people versus going toward the people that you're like, this is not a good, good environment to be in.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I mean, every one of us can probably attest to the fact that it may, if we're at least reflective enough that we can, when we get around the right types of people, it elevates our motivation to get you know, to like, Absolutely. wow, they inspire me. Like, I want to, I want to become more like the, in a, in espouse a the values and mm-hmm. live out the values and the virtues that it seems like those people are living out. And the alternate is true, right? Where we get around mm-hmm. negative, toxic people, we can easily slip into that. You know, yeah. Um, very few of us are are good enough to be able to like go into those toxic environments in a long standing season and be able to like. Pull people up out of it and be the you know yeah. like to live out the virtues and values that we know and we want to adhere to because it just it so easily creeps in to our nature mm-hmm. and so you know to your point like very clear steps that each of us can take is who who do I want to be in five years? Well, let me get around mm-hmm. people like that. Absolutely, Cause they're going to challenge. And that's, me, I, right, that they're absolutely
4: gonna... goes to that that saying. There is like you're the five people you hang out with, Um, and it's true. That's like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know yeah. who you are? Look at the five people around you, and it, if you're like, "Well, I hang out with kids Absolutely. all day," it's like, but look at your attitude. Like, do you act like a child, yeah. or are you showing, like, are you being the leader? And that's, I think, that that hits hard because sometimes you're like, "I'm not hanging around the best of people." Like, that's not good. And it's like, so yeah. well, if they handle chaos in all of you know ugly ways, that's how you may handle right. chaos too. So if you don't want to do it that way, you have to. You have to get around people that are different or, or just have that conversation of like, Hey, I don't want to do that anymore. Let's try this and, and help right. people grow. Yeah. So that right. is a good point.
0: That's so good. And I love what you said Denisha, about the, you know, like we always have choice. We always have mm. choice, right? Oh. Our circumstances may have robbed a whole lot of things from us, but there's one thing as, you know, as Victor Frankel talks about in man's search for meaning, talking about this Holocaust survivor who's had everything Mm -hmm. stripped from him, all of his freedom stripped from him. He said in that moment, he said, there's one thing that can't be stripped from you. And that's the the power to choose, to choose the type of attitude that you're going to exhibit in that moment. Like that's a freedom that nobody can, no matter what your circumstances are, are are surrounding you. And so it's, it's so good to even be able to be reminded of that, that we all have agency and what trauma tends to do, no matter what type of trauma it tends to, to get us to believe that we no longer have agency, that we have been stripped of that ability to choose what we're the decision that we're going to make now. Right. And and that goes back to what you were saying earlier. I love what you said. Like, I can't control necessarily the outcomes. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know where my life's going to be in five years, but I can control the decision I make today.
3: Mm -hmm. And I
0: can, I can at least you know, presuppose that this decision will probably put me a little bit closer to the outcome that I want for my life. Right. But the only thing I can control right now is this decision right here. Yeah. and i can to be proud of this decision right here.
4: Yeah. And I think that that's like when my professor said, like, ask yourself, if you wake up five uh, in 10 years, are you going to be happy with those choices? Someone asked me, they're like, I have a question 10 years after, did you wake up happy with your choices? And I did. And I was, I wasn't like, my, that was when my life was like falling apart. <laughs> and Like I had the kids in the apartment, I'm laying yeah. on the floor and I'm like, Am I happy with my choices? And I'm like, I am happy with my choices. I'm not where wow. I want to be yet, but I'm happy with those choices right. that I've made to lend, land me here. And I think sometimes we hear that, wow. that saying, and we're like, well, I'm not happy with being here. It's like, you don't have to be happy with where you've landed, but you have a choice to change that or not. And maybe you're not happy right now. Maybe that's one of the choices you need to make as counseling because you're just like, you know what? I realize I'm just not a happy person. Um, that's a choice that you have. You have a choice to be happy or not. And it's not, I, I feel like sometimes we we look at the situation and we're like, well, it's not like that person's happiness or this person's happiness. And like, for me, I don't want to, Put my life on a mirror towards somebody else, like I want it to look unique in in what God made it for. Yeah, you know, my life is very different. Yeah. I've never felt like my life has that's matched so anybody that I've been around. But if I want to be happy, <laughs> I certainly with have never person, heard a story like
0: yours. <laughs> <laughs>
4: like it's <laughs> a crazy, it's very crazy because it's not like I feel like that's not all of it. Like there's so much damage and horrible stuff that's happened. But God's like, here, I'm going to flip this for you. Um, but it, it felt like it's taken so long. And I think that's where we like, well, I made the choice and I made the choice yesterday and it needs to fix. Now I made the choice a year ago and it's still not changing. And I'm like, then what choice do we have to make now? And that's where I always have had to reevaluate those choices to be like, okay, do I, for example, do I still hang out with that friend who talks horrible about their spouse? Like, no, I'm actually going to be like, you know what? We're going to have a conversation real quick to say, I don't talk about my spouse that way. I'm going to let you know. And like, I will be leaving the room once you start doing that. There's this choice of where we work. And I think sometimes we're like, well, we're called to do these specific things. And I'm like, you are, but God is not confined to a building or a space or a job. Like he just wants us to make choices to follow him. Like, I don't think he's like, well, I need you to work at this specific place. And if you leave, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> like, that's not what yes. he does. <laughs> like right. he's just like go spread my name, yeah. and I'm like, okay, whatever environment that's in for as ever long as it's supposed to yeah. be. But he's just, I he we're not supposed to be living in this brokenness all the time. Yeah. This is a sinful world, but we don't have to live in that brokenheartedness all the time. And I think that mm. that's why Paul's story is so crazy. Is when he's talking to everybody, he's like, hey, I'm in jail, but I'm still. Yeah. I'm still doing what I was supposed to do. If I, if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, I wouldn't be here. And you're just like, right. Huh? <laughs> like, okay. Right. Sometimes our doing things for Jesus doesn't look like freedom and yeah. feeling great and money. It might actually be prison sales and like being able to say, Hey, I'm actually being able to speak to this person because of that brokenness that I'm in or this captivity that I'm in. And you're like, huh, hmm. interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. so have, That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. And, you know, to your point is Paul's saying, hey, I want you to understand this is all happening to me for the advancement of the gospel.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. <clears throat> if it wasn't for the resurrection. All of this would be futile and meaningless. Right. But because we live on the other side of the resurrection, we can know that no matter what our circumstances tell us today, that's not the end of the story. Right. And that we can live out of a We can live out a different story. We can live a resurrection. We don't have to, like you said, we don't have to live in the broken heartedness. Yes, we live in a broken world. Okay. And we won't, we won't fully and finally realize the redemption of Christ until Jesus comes back. He makes all things right. Right. And right. He like sets everything right. He completely and finally, uh, 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 terminates evil and sin and, you know, darkness and all of those. But right now we can, we can live in light of the resurrection That we too can can stand up out of our circumstances by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can move forward, and then help other people in that. And that's what you're doing. Is you're you're not just you're not just walking out of you know through and out of your circumstances, but you're helping other people in those circumstances as well. And I'm sure that's bringing some some added layers of meaning and purpose to your story. Maybe even some healing. Can you talk about Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Like how is that? I mean, it wasn't even just now. Yeah. It was like when you were helping your, your siblings, you're helping your siblings out in the midst of all of it. Right. But that had yeah. to have done something for you because you're living out a life of meaning
4: there. I think there's, there's a lot to that to unpack. And and I think one of the the things I think of in my head is, you know, when we've come out of the fire, a lot of the times we're like, we're done, we did it. But when we reach back into the yeah. fire and, and pick the other people out and say, it's this way, um, it it just changes what the fire actually is, and that's a weird thing to think of. Where it's mm. like, okay, my how I grew up was no, crazy. No, no. Unpack
0: that a little bit more. That's really that's yeah. Really
4: good. <laughs> because it's like weird, but when you yeah. like the way that we grew up, I could have made it out and been like, peace out. I'm never talking to my family again. But I at 19, mm. I was like, I need to get my life ready, so that if in case my siblings need me in any way, I'm ready to take them in. And that drove me for Mm. a really long time. And then it happened. And I was like, why did I have that thought at, at 19? And it's that thought of, okay, but I'm reaching back in the fire to say, guys, it's this way. We do not have to continue down in this path. We don't have to sit here. We can leave. And that is now what I'm getting to do with foster care students is going in and foster care parents being like, yes, this is a hard mission field. But it is a mission field that needs people to point back and say, hey, guys, it's this way getting out is this way. You want to break generational cycles. It's this way. You don't want to be an alcoholic. Did you also know that you don't have to drink, but also you can learn how to control drinking. Like just because your parent did it, didn't mean that you did it. Just go like, this is the way. And there's not a lot of people wanting to reach back in the fire because I think it's, it's hard because there's, you need a strength. You need to have a strength of of like, okay, I can, I can go into this environment, talk about it and leave and not be damaged. That's where healing has to come in. So you can't always go back into old circumstances and situations like what you went through without that healing first, you know, you just, it's really hard. Sometimes that comes along the way when you're working like with one or two people. Um, but there was a country singer who said it is like, you know, uh, she, she's like on tour right now, but she was like, you know, I used to show up where there was three people in the room to sing to. And now she's showing up to sing into auditoriums of thousands and thousands of people. She's like, you can't get to that thousands of people unless you're with the three first. And I think that that's our, like, that's our whole thing. Like you can't, you can't impact a world of people if you haven't healed first, but you can still impact one life. You can still help one person. And if, If there's 30 people in the room or a thousand people in the room and I'm sharing my story, my goal is not to speak to a thousand people. I'm not there to be like, I want an auditorium full of people. If that happens, cool. But I I, I don't care if one person shows up. If that one person shows up, that is Mm -hmm. where God's saying, I need you to talk to this one person because that one person, maybe they're the ones to go change the world. Maybe I'm going to use them to go impact the thousands. So if I'm not willing to first heal and then reach back into the fire There's there's not much like it just becomes like, oh, yeah, that's my past life. Like I have a choice of running away or going back and being like, guys, this is the way out. And I think that's why our country has such a hard, hard epidemic of mental and emotional just depression, anxiety, abuse is so prevalent. Foster care is so big. There's over 400000 kids in foster care right now. And really what a lot of it goes back to is people are not willing to come back and be like, hey, guys, this is the way out. So generational cycles keep wow. happening. And it's not the same parents. It's their kids doing the same yeah. things. And that, that's heartbreaking to yeah. me. So it's it's risk going back and being like, oh, this hurt a little bit to share my story. But then there is that healing that comes where it's not even half the time. It's not like, oh, I'm so healed because I shared my story. It's more of someone sharing their story with me and being like, man, you're resilient. And it's no longer about me. It's about yeah. them and being like, I'm here to yeah. be that person. Say I get it, but now I'm going to speak back, speak back into you, um, and just remind yep. you that you can, and that is hard, but you can do this. Mm. So it's it's been healing to hear other people's stories because it reminds me that I'm not alone, but it's also more about me listening and learning from them versus me being like, I have all this wisdom to give you. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't feel like I yeah. do. I don't like, I know, yes, I have a similar story yeah. to them and I'm on the other side, but I remember being that 15 year old girl who's like, I don't care if you're on the other yeah. side, you just don't get it. You don't get what I've gone through.
0: Wow. Wow. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So even though you have gone through it, there's still some of that, like ah, you just don't quite get it because you're not in it anymore. And so, yeah. as you immerse yourself into it, you're able to you're able to walk with a little bit more empathy because you're immersing mm-hmm. yourself back into it. And yet, you're immersing yourself back into it with a your in a different way. You're carrying yourself differently. You have a different life. You're coming in and being light in those moments right there. And really, we all need every one of us in our journey. We need someone to come and tell us hey, it's not always going to feel this way. You're not yeah. always going to have this circumstance that's going to be so overwhelmed. You can get through this. By the power of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, you can walk through this. And and I think that's why Jesus doesn't just heal us from things. He heals us for things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just like heal us so we're now out of it and we don't have to go back and touch yeah. it anymore. He heals us for us being able to go back and reach back, like you said, into the fire and and bring yeah. people through ourselves. And while there may need to be a latency period in between for right. you to really get some healing, you know, and you, you referenced Paul earlier, Paul even had that. Paul had some time where he had to get completely out of yeah. being immersed in this, you know, pharisaical persecution type circles. And he had to go and really hear from the Lord for years before he went back into those circles yeah. to minister to people. But while that may be the case, don't forget about where you came from and the type of people that need to hear from you. So they, so they can also experience healing.
4: Absolutely. And it's kind of, I've, I've used this saying before, but there's times where you're sitting there listening to someone at church or on the radio or maybe a conference. And they're like, you know, stubbed my toe once and that just destroyed my life. And you're just like, dude, you don't get it. But when that person comes up and they're like, Hey, I have been, I have lost everything. I have, had to rebuild my life. Yeah. I have had to do it alone. You're just like, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Like we need to have a conversation. And that's the person who changes your perception on things. Cause it's not a stub toe. Like you can't equate a stub toe to losing your family. You can't, it's two different things. Yeah. But if you are able to say, you know what, I have lost my family, maybe not in that way, but in this way, that that's more relatable. To that person, and so sometimes we need to yeah. be able to be open and not, you know, relate it to a stubbed toe, <laughs> like I've heard of, and I'm just like, I don't want to mm-hmm. talk to that person. I'm gonna leave because that was really petty. I <laughs> yeah. think I'm so sorry your toe hurts, uh, right. but that person who comes in and they're just like, I'm gonna bear it all, um, not not to relive, not to hash out the actual details of it, but to say this is what I went through, and this is what I've learned, and I hope to share that with you to encourage you that. You can still do great things. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter where yeah. you've been. It doesn't matter what yes. the past is. It can be redeemed. And I think what I've been seeing a lot lately um, is that God is just like, hey, by the way, you're, you're not replaceable. You're not invisible. But I've had you wait. That's and true. this is like that moment of waiting to start sharing your story. And it it, it wasn't... It wasn't from finishing the degree, but it was from writing from foster to PhD of how I was able to connect with these groups to be like, Hey, here's this book that they could read and it's an accomplishment, but every single person says the same. It's not really the degree. Yes. The degree is great. And I don't want to underplay that, but it's the story behind it. And that's what these kids need to hear is that story behind it. And I, that's, that's just like, that makes sense but it's, there's a lot that God is still doing, wow. but I'm like, wow. oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm still shocked. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is new. Cause I've never <clears throat> yep. had like, yep.
0: and you will continually.
4: Yeah. You'll
0: continually be shocked. You'll continually, this is a new adventure. This is something that God is yeah. continuing to unfold. And as you step into these spaces, he's going to keep showing you more and more, uh, yeah. more and more of his redemption story. You know, like you, oh, absolutely. you understand it to an extent and you've been able to, You've been able to pin this now in in this book, you know, from, from foster to PhD letters from a suitcase, which by the way, we'll put in the show notes, make sure everybody picks up a copy of this. Um, but, but the, you, you've been able to see kind of the redemption story in it, but it's going to keep unfolding. It's going to keep, that's what I love about God is that he's continually showing us more and more of how he's redeeming our story and how he's using it. But he only does that as we are stepping into reaching back into the fire
4: and helping other people. Right. Absolutely. And it, and it's crazy, too, because it's like you're saying, like, there's going to be more of those moments. And one of those moments is so we're we're actually pregnant. So it's pretty fun. Uh, we're in fifth, week 15. Oh, congratulations.
0: Um,
3: we, yes. <laughs> thank you.
4: we we had uh, a miscarriage awesome. before, but also it was like when I was 19, I was like, I'm never going to be a parent because I'm going to be a horrible parent. Um, and that was hard. Like, that was a hard thing. And people are like, no, you just need to meet the right person or like, oh, you just need to get over it or it was just that. So I was so broken that even seeing a family of my own, I was like, it's just not in the cards for me because of how yeah. my family has been generationally divorced is all of, you know, CPS abuse, multiple children yeah. from multiple women or men and whatever. Like, it's just, it's crazy when yeah. you start to look at the details of your family and then God's like, hold on, like he's going to redeem everything. And so being <clears throat> on this side, I, I was right. sit, sitting back a little bit and being like, I'm a little surprised that I'm so excited because it's like, I'm like, Oh, we're going to do this with her. And like, we're going to do that with her. And like, we're going to do, you know, it's, I'm going to love being a mom. And I'm like, that was not me at 19 being 32 Mm -hmm. from the healing, making mistakes with my siblings (laughs) and probably losing my cool too much. It's just like, yeah, it's part of parenting. Like that chilled me out a little bit, but now being excited on about that, that new adventure to be like, let, let's see what she gets to do in her life. That is something that mm. I had never thought would happen because of how broken I was at nineteen. It had nothing to do with me being like, Oh, let me find a spouse or anything like that. It was just because I had seen how my parents raised children and how other parents were, I thought that was the only way. And I'm like, I'm not gonna do that to a kid. Like that kid doesn't deserve that. Yeah. But like, I was like, Hey, by the way, like I've brought people into mm-hmm. your life to show you what good parenting is. Parenting is hard, but I'm going to show you that it does not have to yeah. be that way. And I'm like, Oh, so it's like every, every, and it's, <sighs> in five years. I'm going to be like, there's this other thing that he revealed. And I'm going to be like, Oh my gosh. Cause that's just, <laughs> he does that for us. And I think that's crazy and amazing. Um, and sometimes we have to yeah. just sit back and look back and be like, okay, God, what have you showed me already? What have you, done for me already like what have i missed and i think one of the pastors that um i went he it was one of the churches i went to he said um it's really easy to look at the situation that you're in and say god's not here and then be years later be like this is where god was but if you can get to a point in your life to say this is where god is right now in this moment i see his hand moving um that's that's just a beautiful thing to be able to do and so Instead of being like, God, I need you to show up, it's just like, God, show me where you're at today. Show me your hand. Show me your peace. Yeah. Show me your mercy. And every time I would pray that, like a song would come on the radio where it was just like, I hear you, I mm. see you, and I know you. And I'm like, well, I can't hear your voice, but here's a song where I'd open the Bible and it was like, okay, <laughs> we're, at, we're, at, we're at Wednesday Bible study or Sunday church. And all of a sudden they're talking about how I feel. And I'm like, I haven't told you how I, how I felt, so I know this message was not for me, but also wow. it is for me. So it's like God does that within situations. So if we're able to look in our pain and just be like, God, show me yeah. your hand, show me where you're at, show me your peace, uh, versus like, God, you're not here, I hate you, um, we'll, we'll be able to see just see his hand moving a little bit more. And it takes time and just, yeah. even the littlest things can be hope. And there there's always been a butterfly that yes. resembles that for me. And there's been times where I'm walking and I'm like, I don't hear you. Can I see your mm. hand? And butterflies don't really exist where <laughs> where I live. And so seeing one, you're like, wow. huh, that's not a moth. That is a butterfly. Wow. Okay. Wow. And that's, that's, it shocks wow. you when, when you have those moments, but it's, it's neat yeah. to see when God's like, Hey, I'm here. I hear you. I, I'm listening. Um, yeah, that's great. and sometimes it's just, I'm not listening <laughs> to him. So guilty. Yeah.
0: Yep, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, Denisha, um, let's say, you know, I mean, as we kind of like close down the conversation, I I really want to make sure that, I mean, as, as the church, right. The big C church, we're very uninformed a lot of times about the foster care system. And we also are probably, we're not as involved as what I think we should be as the church, right. We have a lot of other missions that we're involved in, but that's a major mission field that we should be more involved in, I think, as local, and I hear about local churches that are doing really cool stuff with foster care. Um, and and it's, and it's great. It's awesome. But I, I wonder if you're like, let's say you're speaking to a church right now and you're trying to implore the body of Christ. Hey, here's how you should intervene. You have such a great story of people who were just walking beside you, intervening all along the way, being the hands and feet of Jesus. What would you say? How, how would you kind of, as you're sending us off in some ways, how would you implore, the body of Christ to step into the mess of the foster care system and really be the hands and feet of Jesus.
4: There is so much to do, but I think the biggest thing that we need to do is take kids more seriously. Um, Sometimes they'll open up about their stories and they're told that they're Mm -hmm. liars. I know that happened to me and my siblings several times. Uh, They sided with Mm -hmm. my parents or they would delete my parents more and it didn't matter how many bruises you showed or how much you could prove it. They were just like, no, like, You got to listen to your parents. You got to submit to your parents. You got to honor your parents. So I think first off, stopping then the notion of, I'm just going to ignore you because you're the child and understanding that if a child is telling you their brokenness, you do need to take it seriously and you need to look into it. Um, I think sometimes what will happen is some people in churches, they, they don't know how to handle that situation. So it's like, you really need to go to CPS and talk to them. Like, what can we do? How can we help? Um, The county has a great, great service department and and they're all, all counties are trying to get connected with more partners. Um, And the biggest need is for backpacks and luggage bags. Um, When I was picked up from, with foster care, I was given a grocery sack, one of the flimsy old ones and was told you have five minutes to go get clothes. And that you can't carry a lot in a little grocery bag. Um, Other kids will get trash bags. Uh, Sometimes they won't, they'll get a little bin that's in their house. It's what's really in the home of the family. Um, The big reason that people get taken away is because of neglect and abuse. So it's understanding is like, how can we as the church start helping these families not hide it, but help them getting them parenting classes getting them the babysitting that they need. Sometimes it's the parents off for three days for working, gets home and then leaves again, and then they have no one watching the kids be the people who can say, I can babysit for free for families that might not have that money. Um, And then coming alongside teenagers, because the teenagers are, they need to be protected and loved and shown that they are are valued in the community. Uh, It's really hard because everyone focuses on little kids And then teenagers, it's kind of like, eh, whatever. And then they age out and then they leave the church. Um, And church hurt is very real and very, very heartbreaking. Um, And I know for myself, the abuse that I went through was also spiritual abuse And if people don't know what that is, it's just using the Bible or God against you to say, like, you're a horrible human. God hates you. Or here's this verse where I'm telling you to obey and I'm going to still abuse you. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of kids who are still experiencing that. So if the church can be a voice of uh, reason and help is that they hear maybe they hear someone where it's like, hey, this this family is taking in kids from foster care. Call that family. What do you guys need? Do you guys need dinner the next week? How can we love on these kids? How can we make sure that they're leaving with clothes? Um, because you really don't leave with much of what's what's in your house. You live with just what's on your back. Um, and these kids can be moved around a lot. Right. So even if you, there, um, it's kind of like being like a, a teacher mindset where it's like, even if you're in my classroom for a week, I'm gonna love on you as if I have a year with you. Um, just loving those kids. Even if those kids are only with you for a week at church, love on that kid fiercely because you might be the only positive light in their life right now. So there's so much to do. But I think starting with the county, uh, they can direct each person to say, here's what we need. Sometimes it might be financial assistance. Sometimes it might just be we need backpacks and clothes um, and or just people showing up to be willing to take kids in that are teenagers. Yeah, there's so much to do. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Man, that's so good. No, it's so helpful too. Just very, very helpful practical ways that we can get involved because sometimes we we presume that we know the needs or we presume, oh, this is how it's gonna help. But of course right. the old adage when helping hurts or you know, if we're not really if we're not really in it, we've gotta immerse ourselves in it. We've gotta be able to build a a sense of empathy and walk beside folks who are hurting in any you know in any realm, any sector of society, before we can really intuitively know what the needs are. And so it's very helpful for you to be able to share that with us. And 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 I'm just sharing your story, Denisha. I mean, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and with your vulnerability and and sharing with us what you've journeyed through, how God has brought you through this and um and then just your passion. I'm so I'm inspired by your heart and your passion. Uh, for reaching back into the fire. I'm going to keep using that language that you used right there because you are, you're reaching back into the fire and you're bringing people through it as well. And um, I can see it all over your face. I can, I can hear it all over your voice and and God's going to use you and continue to use you in really, really big monumental ways in this space. So thanks for spending time with us. I uh, want again, make sure that everybody picks up um this this book from foster to phd i'm sure that you only shared a little bit of all of the yeah. <laughs> complexity of your story that you now share in this book from foster mm-hmm. to phd letters from a suitcase we'll put the link right there in the show notes so everybody can pick that up um in fact maybe we'll even convince denisha to send us a copy so we can do a free giveaway as well yes, and I'll send uh, that to you and yeah. so we're just Yeah, we'll, we'll get that connected. And so you guys can follow us on Instagram. You'll see where we'll be giving away a copy of that book, but Denisha, thank you so, so much for spending time with us. Thank you for your heart and what you're doing. It's just been an honor to have this conversation with you.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Well, like I said before, it was a powerful conversation. I am yeah. a fan of Dr. Denisha Keating officially. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and I have to repent for when I introduced her. You know, I threw it to the interview. I just called her Denisha Keating, but I'm telling you, after that conversation with her, I realized that's Doctor Denisha Keating. I mean, that is yeah. she earned that, right? That's yeah, huge yeah, yeah Doctor Denisha Keating, and I'm going to be honest with you. If I went all that route to go get my PhD, I would want to be called Dr. Davey Blackburn I was actually,
2: well. I mean, this is totally beside the point, but I was telling my kids this yesterday at dinner because uh, my husband's going to start his PhD. I'm hoping to start mm-hmm. mine a year later. And I was like, guys, just so you know, once once I'm a doctor, you can call me like Dr. Mom or you can call me <laughs> Dr. Samson, Dr. Aubrey, but no longer will I be like, just mom, just I know. like I, I know. You will say doctor before whatever else you call me.
0: I think I need to do that just to be able to compete with my wife too, right? I mean, she's... <laughs> She's a PA, so I can at least, maybe I can one-up her with that and be like, well, I'm a doctor. Yeah, so. maybe, maybe
3: you
0: can't. <laughs> Probably not. She's way more brilliant than I'll ever be. So <laughs> We love,
2: we love Christy.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting um, bringing her up right now because, you know, she and I wrestled with this very thing quite a bit as we, and, and there was a question asked on the community platform. We told you guys we want to answer some of these questions and kind of interact yeah. with you guys there in the yeah. community. So make sure you go join the community platform. We would love to interact with you. We'd love to answer your questions. So. Here's a question that was posed. Um, it, it was it was kind of more in a, in a general statement, but basically, this person was asking uh, if they were to sit down and have coffee with me and you, Aubrey. They, they this person said that they would ask questions around self care,
3: hmm. on
0: how how we hold space for and continually hold uh, space for so many hard stories uh, and conversations. And I know we've addressed this before, but. Yep. She's wondering if there's any new insight that we have into mm. this. And I think it's a very good question. And here's why I think it's appropriate for this episode. You know, Dr. Denisha Keating, she she had to actually care for and raise her siblings.
2: Her own right? siblings, she right. She was forced
0: into this. And so yeah. she did not have a whole lot of like ability to just self-care, right? Think yeah. through that kind of stuff. And So we all kind of fall on that spectrum a little bit in yeah. terms of how we're caring for other people, at least I hope. Yeah. That you are making it a regular practice to care for people in your life yes. that cannot care for themselves or that cannot repay you. Um, yeah. I think about it as like the the mephibosheths of our mm, life. That's good, right? You know, David and Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was not going to be able to offer David, King David, anything,
2: anything, nothing, and
0: yet he invited him to the table. Yeah. cared for for him, made sure that he was taken care of. And so yeah, I had a mentor once tell me, you always need to have Mephibosheths, as hard as that is to say, that's always have Mephibosheths in at your, your life. table, in your at life. At your table, yeah. Right? And so yeah, you're carrying. So but some of us, Aubrey, we listen to pain stories all the time.
2: Yeah.
0: And we're carrying that. So it's a great yeah. question. I think it's something that we should talk about a little bit.
2: I remember, David. and I know we're going to kind of talk about this uh, because before we were recording, you and I were having a conversation about it. I remember when we had our guest Mitchell Lee on, who's a friend of mine. He wrote yeah. that book, yep. Even If, I think that was yep. the title mm-hmm. of his That's book. That's right, yeah. He talked about, and he, I think he got this from Henry Nowen, but he talked mm. about how so often we talk about the ministry of presence, mm-hmm. but what he was reminding us was also this concept of, of the ministry of absence. Yeah, yeah. Meaning... There is a time and a place, both for you and the person you're caring for, when yeah. you need to step away and let the Lord just do the ministry. And so part of that is you you pray for them and you say, okay, I'm going to go home now. Right. And that's to separate yourself so that you can have God take care of your own soul so that right. you're not constantly carrying some of the fatigue and the emotion, but also so that person, like the Lord can minister to them outside of you being the yes. one doing it. And I, that has... Especially in this day and age with how inundated we are with, David, uh, Davey, like you said, pain stories, but also right. just the noise in our the world, no- exactly. which is loud. Yep. To be able to practice the ministry of absence or to yep. step away, to go on a walk, yep. to uh, do whatever's life-giving for you, that to me more and more... Yeah. feels like a calling for yeah. all of us because I think we're all starting to live with some low-level like anxiety, anxiety. compassion because fatigue yes. etc and so there's got to be some adjustments because yeah. of that
0: yeah I mean you know years ago 25 30 years ago you turn on the nightly news and that was your dose of right here's what's going on in the world yeah. this is the frantic activity that's happening and you get a little bit of anxiety right now. It is literally at our fingertips 24 same. seven. And yeah. depending on the boundaries that you set up in your life yeah. on these kind of device, you know, um, uh, disciplines that you have, yeah. you're, you're going to see it all the time and you're going to have some of that low level fatigue or yeah. low level anxiety and yeah. compassion fatigue. And so right now everybody is trying to get you to take up a cause
1: Totally. And they're
0: loud. And our world is also – our culture has become an outrage culture. Yep. So the loudest voices –
3: get recorded.
0: Yep. The loudest voices get recorded and they get broadcasted.
3: Yep. Yep.
0: And so, so there's a combination and a convergence of a lot of things happening right now that is contributing to not just – you and I, Aubrey, or mm-hmm. me and Christy, or you know, you and Kevin hearing yeah. these stories of pain and carrying this burden, but everybody feeling this.
1: Totally. And so
0: I 100% resonate with this. Um, a couple things I would say. One, I would encourage you to go and I think he does it on YouTube, but he also has it in his most recent book. John Eldridge talks about a concept called mm-hmm. um, benevolent detachment. Hmm. And it's very similar to what Mitchell Lee was talking about in the ministry of absence. Yeah. But he talks about the fact that they were Jesus did not heal every sick person he encountered if you think wow. about this. Wow. Yep. He didn't like literally the savior of the universe. We call it savior complex.
3: When you start <laughs> trying
0: to go and fix everybody, heal everybody, you know, step in and uh, intervene in spaces that we as human beings were not meant to intervene. We yeah. call that a savior complex or a right. Superman complex. Right. But let's recalibrate the savior of the world, the actual savior of the world walked by mm. certain sick people. Mm. In fact, most people that were in need, mm. that clamored to be around him,
2: Wow. he did not heal. Wow.
0: He intentionally healed. Yep. Um... Gave life to, raised from the dead, spoke into, like had intentional people that he did that for. And then he intentionally retreated. And quite frequently we see that he went away to a lonely place yeah, so that he could be with the father. Mm-hmm. And I think that was for a couple of reasons. One, I think he needed to be refilled spiritually because his humanity he was 100% God, 100% man. His humanity was depleted, right?
3: Absolutely. And
0: so he needed to be refilled spiritually. And the only, the only source he can do that with is with the Father, right? Just like yeah. all of us. The yeah. other thing is, I think he, I think he had to keep getting clarity on his mission. Yeah. Like an acute, like, let's get reminded of who are we here for, mm. right? What are the who are the people we're supposed to heal. The, the blind men that we're mm. supposed to give sight to, the the mm. lame men that we're supposed to, you know, mm. I think that, and so I think it's necessary for all of us in our self-care practices to do the exact same thing.
3: so good, To intentionally
0: Davey. choose, hey, okay, there's certain things I cannot respond to I, or I, have to, say I no have, to, to. Yeah. have to say no to. I have to say no to. I have to detach from, right? And so this can be difficult. Like if I go and speak somewhere, yeah. And people are all, you know, like, I'm going to share my story, share my story. That's an exhausting thing for me. So I've had to put some like kind of psychological practices in place where I go, okay, um, you're going to share your pain with me, but I'm an empath. I want to empathize with you. And there might be certain ones that just grip me and I start crying with you, but I cannot do that for everybody. I can't. I just don't have the human capacity to do that. Absolutely. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hear what's going on. I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder and I'm going to pray for you right there. And then I'm going to, I'm done with that, Yeah. right? Because I can't carry that if I carry all of it. And I know that may sound cold and heartless, but it just, it is absolutely impossible. And I think what i think about is in that moment praying for that person it brings kind of this like sp- it opens a spiritual door for them and for yes. like the lord to go do his work that only the lord can do in their life
2: yeah and ultimately i think the the good part of that is is not i mean that's self and soul care for you but that like you're saying that points them That points them back to God because sometimes in those situations, yeah, and I mean, you know, not everyone is in a situation like you, Davy, where they're speaking at places, but I do think sometimes (laughs) when you're a compassionate caregiver, people can begin to look to you as the one to provide the answers to. So what that does is go, oh, oh, ultimately it's God you want, ultimately it's God you want, ultimately it's God who's going to, and so that's a, I think that's a good practice.
0: And I think it's important for us to remember that there are some of us, our personalities and our propensities is that we... Actually enjoy. We kind of get our kicks out of people needing us. Isn't that true? And if you're not careful, that will suck your soul dry. Yeah. Or you'll become bitter Mm -hmm. because you'll start going, well, people should show up for me the way I'm showing up for other people. (laughs) I mean, right? That's so
2: true. That's uh, so true. And
0: so it's it's, a... you got to be very careful that your source, your provider is the Lord, and yeah. you in, and operate out of overflow, not out of like it depleting your your spiritual tank, but operate out of overflow. So what the Lord brings in, then just overflow. And once yeah, you start seeing okay. that that gauge is going low, it's like okay, I'm going to benevolently, as John Elder said, benevolently detach from this benevolently
2: detach that's good
0: yeah absolutely so there's so much more we could say about this so
2: much that's such a great question it's a really good
0: question but um that's at least some new insight right now that's fresh on on my mind on aubrey's mind aubrey anything else to say about that at no, I I, okay. I
2: I think that's really good. I think that's a beautiful invitation for like all of us right now yeah. is to find spaces where we can detach. I love yeah. that. Yeah. We also would just love to, you know, we have so much more for you. Like th- this conversation, we barely scratch the surface, but we have mm. so many resources for you with your questions. And in the middle of your pain journey, we'd love to invite you to check out our community platform and our community plus yeah. over at com slash community uh, you can find out more there. We also yeah. want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And we love engaging with you on social media. So you can uh, find, follow, engage with us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at OBSAMP. Hmm.
0: Next week, we have a conversation with a, a couple that I've just recently got to know um, through a, a long time past podcast guest. Um, uh, Chris Dew, you guys will remember Chris Dew from like just episodes and episodes ago, he introduced me to Greg and Kathy Bufkin, told me the ministry that they were doing out of the devastating loss that they'd experienced. I got on a Zoom call with them and heard their heart. I was like, oh my gosh, not not only do I want people to hear your story, I want people to get connected to your ministry and what you're doing because it's so powerful. So why don't you go ahead and take a listen to this little clip from my conversation next week with Greg and Kath, Kathy Bufkin.
1: Ryan, our son, um, was he married his his fiance in 2013, and uh, he got a job in Charleston, South Carolina. So they, they were about two and a half hours away. She worked there as well, and um, I think in twenty early 2015, they had a little girl, Olivia who is now seven years old, by the way, and is a uh, female version of her daddy. And and that's, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But um, it was, uh, you know, we had all kinds of October 25th of 25th of dreams and hopes of seeing Ryan stepping into that role as a, as a young dad. And unfortunately, that October... Ryan um, unbeknownst to us um, had had left Florence and was on his way up to Michigan and that was on a Thursday and then that Sunday morning Kathy and I were up in the mountains with a couple of friends of ours just for a weekend getaway and That Sunday morning as we were packing up to come home, I got a phone call, I was down in the lobby getting us some coffee and I got a phone call that every parent lives in dreaded fear of.